The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. Ira Bell, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. But anyway, Mike, that's the story about how Shrek is the official reject of the Pixar universe. And went over to DreamWorks, which is the alternate universe uh, Pixar. Oh, and we're live, Neil. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today on this beautiful day here on the GameCube was Cool podcast. You went to a fan expo over the weekend, though. The Toronto Fan Expo was back in town for the first time since probably, what, 2019? This was your first time going, so tell me about it. How was your trip to the Toronto Fan Expo? Oh, great time for sure. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of sweaty people uh, walking mm. around. Uh, awesome costumes as always. Uh, 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 some good booths. Most of the stuff was very overpriced. Uh, I, I spent my money in Chile <laughs> at that co- uh, Comic Con, so right. didn't need to buy anything. But we did. I did meet up with uh, two good friends of ours, Neil, uh, Mike and Dave from the Back in My Day podcast. Uh, they had been on our podcast a couple times, and we've been on theirs. And Neil's, of course, on Dave's other podcast uh, quite a bit on the Remember sixty four podcast who's basically doing what we're doing here on the for the gamecube but uh instead they're doing it for the n64 and it was uh awesome to talk to those guys and see their halls uh mike's especially was fantastic uh mm-hmm. he got some amazing comics uh got some amazing artwork art prints i really like the art prints like that's kind of what i'm looking for at uh, okay. at stuff like this neil what does that mean like you're looking for like artists drawings of things or you're looking for like cover images of things uh, like like artists' renditions of things. I know you've you've picked up a couple in the past as well, just because yeah. they're 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 unique, right? Like that. It's mm. it's. Uh, but all the other stuff there, like games and other media, like you can find that anywhere, right? But uh, yeah. but these artists' prints and a lot of times the artists are there selling their prints. That's really cool, and to talk to them a bit. Yeah, I love that part of the uh, the exhibit. I liked going to the um the the artist corner, I guess you'd call it. I I went to Fan Expo back in 2015 for the first time. I went with my cousins and uh, one of my friends from work, and my sister was there too. We had a good time. I I really just felt like I only had to do this once, and maybe I'll do it again another time when I have kids or something. I don't know. I didn't feel like I needed to go back anytime soon. I'm glad I'm glad that you went. But yes, I did uh, I did pick up some artwork back in the day. I got uh, an artist drawing of Shadow of the Colossus and portal Mm -hmm. and i was also working at uh i was working at eb games at the time no i wasn't working at eb games yet i knew somebody at eb games hadn't started working there yet but uh she was selling some artwork too of the last of us she uh Mm. she loved to draw like clickers and she also liked drawing punisher and some other comics and uh video game characters so i bought a clicker piece of art off of her too so i love that stuff though and i think the artist that i drew the port the artist that I bought the Portal and Shadow of the Colossus stuff off of was a Sheridan College student where his, where I went to school too. I didn't know her. I just loved the artwork. I wanted to buy – I think I wanted to buy like five different things from that artist, but I had to narrow it down to two because <laughs> they had like a buy yeah. one, get one half off, but no sale on if you bought five. I didn't want to spend like $200 on fan art that day. Uh, that's, it's easy. Know. It's easy. Oh, God, yeah. 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 It's, it's really just, easy. 
such amazing stuff. And also when you get it signed too is really, really cool. Yeah. Like I think that's a, a little added bonus. And yeah, it's just really unique stuff there in terms of fan art. And uh, yeah, again, really awesome to see Mike and Dave talk with them. Uh, it, was, uh, it was cool hanging out and I can't wait to go back on their podcast. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully we can meet up with them too outside of like an expo. Maybe we can meet up with them at our favorite video game store, ANC Games. Go check out some restaurants downtown. That would be a lot of fun. It's nice to have some local Toronto boys, you know, other podcasters here so close to us. We don't have to travel to the States or across the world to see everybody. So that's really cool. I, I look forward to doing that. But Mike, Fan Expo, the uh, the CNE here in Toronto is live. That to me really does symbolize the end of summer and the transitioning of August to September. Not mm. really a great transition when you go from August to September because, you know, summer's over, you're going back to school, the days are getting shorter, it's getting colder again. And it got me thinking, like, what is your least favorite and most favorite month transition of the year? You know, like months have feelings when you go from, obviously, there's December to January, that has a feel, uh, April to like May, that has a bit of a feel, August to September, that has a feel. What 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 do you feel? What months do you feel most? Well, that's a good question, Neil. Yeah, I, hmm. August to September is a weird one because it feels like August should just go until near the end of September. Like that's for for me because also the weather is still nice in September, but your mind is already in the September mode of just like ugh, like I gotta go to school, I gotta go to work, I can't like it's mm-hmm. uh, I'm back to to normal basically is the September right. mode where August <laughs> a lot of people take vacation, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, or if you're France, everyone takes vacation, <laughs> so uh, <Good>. it's uh, <laughs> it, it is a weird transition just going from vacation to like back to school, back to work. Um, yeah. For sure, I understand that, but uh, mm-hmm. other weird month transitions uh i was thinking maybe like um uh like a a march to april or maybe even february to march whenever it starts not being super cold out in canada (laughs) yeah i'm yes that is true i i think i can pinpoint that that's march to april and Mm. i remember that because i love that last couple weeks of college uh when like the days are longer for sure the grass is green it's it's like cool in the morning but warm in the afternoon i associate that time of year so much with just like getting out there like really slacking on schoolwork and like playing video games and you're kind of getting away with it. Like I don't have to work 50 hours a week yet on my part-time job. I'm still in exam mode, but like I didn't study for exams. So I had so much time to like do eBay shopping, go to video game stores (laughs) and play games. So I love March to April is probably my favorite. I'm also a big fan of September to October because that's when the leaves are the best in the fall. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the worst one is. Probably like I I hate New Year's. Like that's my actually my least favorite holiday. So probably (laughs) December to January. That's got to be. I hate that one. So those are my two. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's a good question. Any other listeners out there, let us know what your least favorite month transition is for sure. Yeah, it's a random thought, but uh, one that I had nonetheless. But Mike, we have a big episode to talk about today with some Pixar films. So I think it's time that we get into our episode at large. What do you think? Yeah, let's talk about all these beautiful Pixar films and the games that aren't as great but nope it's okay we got the movies to reminisce about now (laughs) (laughs) indeed we do ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode 110 of the gamecube was cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services we are the number one gamecube podcast on the internet we're here to look back on all 555 north american gamecube games one by one sometimes 12 by 12 so far we have covered 483 games you can visit the gamecube was cool.com to check out all the things we've been working on the website was developed by our very own mike lane and John Ratzenberger. Nice, John Ratzenberger. Wow. And Rex, of course, from Toy Story. Mm, yes, all, all of them. <laughs> but not Shrek. And you can check out our storefront on tpublic.com. Link down below in the show notes. Last week, we talked about Cartoon Network on the GameCube. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. 
This week, we're talking all about the Pixar games on the GameCube, games based on the classic Pixar movies of the 2000s. We covered Monsters, Inc. already in uh, one of our unplayable episodes because that game is rough. So today, we are sitting down to cover Cars, Ratatouille, Incredibles 1 and 2, and Finding Nemo. But first, Mike, before we talk about these games, I want to invite our friend of the show, Kirsten, onto the show today to talk about our rankings of our favorite and maybe some of our least favorite Pixar films of all time. So, Mike, with that, why don't you welcome Kirsten onto the show? Awesome. Yeah, Kirsten, welcome back to the show. We last had her on, of course, for the Shrek episode. I'm glad that Shrek is getting tied into the Pixar world here a lot in this episode. (laughs) But uh, Kirsten, our first question to you is, what's your least favorite Pixar movie? All right. Well, my least favorite that I remember seeing is The Good Dinosaur. I don't really remember much of Cars 2, which is, or 3, I can't remember. I'm looking at my list here. One of the, uh, one of the Cars, I think there's Cars, there's 3. I thought they stopped at 2. I forgot, yeah, you're right, they did make 3, because then they put out Driven to Win. Yeah, that's the one. I don't think I've seen The Good Dinosaur. That's Did you see that one in theaters? Was that a high school Pixar film for us, or is it earlier than that? No clue. I did not see this in theaters. 2015 movie. I saw it not in theaters as well, Kirsten. I saw it like, uh, I guess maybe a year afterwards. It's fine. It's just not a, it's uh, like you said, it's very like not, like you can't remember anything from it. It, Yeah, it's not good. That might be like one of the first Pixar films where they came out and it was just like, it was fine. Right? (laughs) Like, I'm trying to think what, what would have been the one before that. But my least favorite Pixar film is Monsters, Inc. 2. Mainly because I've seen that one and I couldn't tell you a single goddamn thing about it. That's like middle tier for me. (laughs) I like it. My problem is Monsters, Inc. 1 is so darn good. And then Mm -hmm. that one came out and it just wasn't. So then what is is your top 10, uh, Kirsten, before we get into ours? I'm really curious. Okay, uh, I didn't label them top 10. I'm just looking at that tier master list. So let me count. Okay, oh, the top two tiers are 10. Perfect. Okay, so nice. Coco, Finding Nemo. The Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., and Toy Story 3 are my S-tier ranks. Okay, okay. And then A-tier ranks are Toy Story 2, Ratatouille, Up, Wally, and Finding Dory. Ooh, nice. A Finding Dory. That's what I kind of forget about, but was a good movie. Like, I in- I enjoyed watching it when I was a kid. Or not a kid. I enjoyed watching <laughs> we were it. like 25. <laughs> when I was 25, when I was still a child. I think the thing with Pixar movies, well, maybe other than Neil's List, we'll see, but uh, is, usually, <laughs> is usually the fact that uh, basically all Pixar movies are watchable. There's definitely no unwatchable Pixar movies, so lists aren't going to be like technically wrong. And I like how Kirsten did it of kind of tearing hers uh uh, using like S tier for like the best ones because they are kind of all close together for the, the really, really good ones and then the A tiers as well. And then after that, they kind of fall off a little bit, but they're all still good movies. Yeah, I still like my my B tier mm-hmm. movies and the C tier movies are eh. It just <laughs> shows you how good Pixar movies and how consistent Pixar was, especially at the beginning. Like everything they did was a, mm-hmm. a super original story that had never come out before, really, that blew audiences away. And they kept doing that for like 10 years, basically. So it's uh, it's hard to com- compare to some of those early ones. But what, what would be your mm-hmm. favorite Pixar movie then, Kirsten? Do you have one that you like shotgun, like gun to your head? You have to pick one. Do you have one? <laughs> yeah, I would pick Coco. I love Coco. I can watch nice. it over and over. I've only seen Coco once and I did enjoy it. But unfortunately, Kirsten, that's a that's a B tier for me. It does not make my top 10. That's okay. Mm, I won't fight you. <laughs> <laughs> My top 10, uh, we'll go from 1 to 10. Incredibles, the best movie. One of the best movies ever made. Uh, Up, of course. Toy Story 1, Toy Story 3 uh, at number 4. Uh, Monsters, Inc., number 5. Finding Nemo, number 6. 
Inside Out, number seven. That might be a, a little shocker yes. for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't like that movie. <laughs> number eight, <laughs> Wally. Number nine, Toy Story 2. And number 10, Soul. Uh, that would be oh. my top. And then my least favorite is Cars 2, because I just did not enjoy <laughs> that movie at all. <laughs> no. It was Planes Pixar, or is that Disney? It's Pixar, but it's not no technically way. a movie. Like I don't, it's it's like a I don't count it. It's a spin-off and it wasn't released in theaters. It was like okay. a like a direct to DVD. I don't know what you call it. It was like I, Lion King one and a half. Gotcha. <laughs> so I remember seeing that one like in a bus shelter once being like, what the hell is this? I was going to say Inside Out. That's an interesting choice. Kirsten and I saw that one in theaters when it came out. I think that's like one of the only movies Kirsten and I have seen in theaters, just the two of us. And it was good. Like, I really liked that one. But like, I thought it was going to be very different than what it actually was because the trailer for that movie was like, you could see the dad's moods, the mom's moods and the daughter's. I thought that they were going to incorporate like the dad and the mom's moods in the movie a lot more and they don't it's only uh what's the girl's name uh riley it's yeah. only like riley's personality traits that are kind of interacting with each other and that's it so i yeah. was kind of let down by what the movie ended up being that's very fair like i i i think kirsten said basically the same thing to me too when i told her that inside i was one of my favorites and honestly for me i just resonated with it so much i remember watching that with my ex at the time and we were watching it and I just like, I was basically ready to cry like at the end. I, and like <laughs> uh, maybe only the beginning of up makes me want to cry of all the toy story movies and maybe toy yeah. end of toy story three, but uh, inside out, I don't know that just something about it just got to me. And I really loved the movie because of that. So, uh, but I definitely understand anyone's like complaints about it. Uh, and I, I won't fight them for it. <laughs> it ranks highly on a lot of people's lists and I get it. Like it's an emotional movie, but, my top 10 list, I don't think Kirsten's going to... I know Kirsten doesn't like my favorite uh, Pixar <laughs> film. She always gives me crap for it, but I'll go I'll go top to bottom. I don't have a tier list or anything. I just have my top 10. I don't know how many Pixar films there are now, like 30. I like most of them. The only ones I really don't like are Monsters, Inc. 2, and basically, I've never seen the Cars 2 and 3, so I can't judge them, but Cars 1 is fine. Um, but number 10, I have Ratatouille. Number 9, Toy Story. Number 8, Up. Number 7, Toy Story 3. Number six, Monsters Inc. Uh, five, The Incredibles. Four, Finding Nemo. Three, Wally. I love Wally. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, Toy Story Two. That movie's really good. And number one for me is A Bug's Life. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has A Bug's Life on their list ever, and it's I just absolutely adore that movie. It's so it's so tied to my childhood. It's like one of my first memories of going to a theater. Like we, I think for me, I like it so much because because I went to the like the premiere for it, and the movie theater was decked out with like all of these giant bugs. They had people there with bugs that you could hold like stick bugs and beetles and tarantulas like it was a movie experience for me and like i remember getting the happy meal toys uh i remember like watching the vhs tape over and over and over again so i just like i like it when when people are compared to insects in movies and they did such a great job of like just making people and personalities seem so insignificant and stupid and the whole herd mentality of the ants and um, the hierarchy of grasshoppers against the ants. It's just like one of my favorite Disney films of all time. So yeah, Bugs Life at number one. And uh, WALL-E is such a special movie too. Um, The opening for WALL-E too is incredibly sad, almost as much as Up for me. Like he's just alone on this planet and then he finally finds like a girl or whatever, like a a companion, Eva. And he's like holding her hand and like dragging her around with Christmas lights. It's such a cute opening for a film. Um, That whole movie is great from uh, beginning to end. But you really, like Mike said, can't go wrong with a Pixar film, really any of them. Wally's also really relevant, honestly. Like, <laughs> it gets more relevant every day, in my opinion. Like, I just, I, I see, what's the, uh, what's the, the corporation? By and, by and large. By and large. Yeah. 
And that's just Amazon, man. Like that's just like yeah. that's what I think of all the time. I'm like, this is this is gonna be us in like a hundred years. So just wait, it'll yeah. happen. It's already pretty close. Like people like sitting across from each other, texting other people and stuff, and everyone's getting fat, and the world is getting unlivable. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have real working wallies uh, running around outside. Sick. That's all I could want. <laughs> yeah. But let's talk about some of the video games that uh, we have based on Pixar films. In May of 2002, THQ acquired the rights for the next three Pixar films, those films being Finding Nemo, Cars, and The Incredibles. So with that, we brought Kirsten on today because she also have, has memories of playing The Incredibles back in the day, as do I. So let's start with the first game of the day, which is The Incredibles, was released on October 28th, 2004, developed by Heavy Iron Studios, who also made Battle for Bikini Bottom, published by THQ, also on PS2, Xbox, Windows, OS X, and Game Boy Advance rates a 6 out of 10 price today at around $10 and it is a action adventure and we may as well talk about the at the same time the follow-up to The Incredibles The Incredibles Rise of Underminer was released on November 1st 2005 developed again by Heavy Iron Studios published by THQ and Sega published this game in Japan also on Game Boy Advance Xbox DS Windows and PS2 rates a 7 out of 10 price today at around $10 this is an action adventure game as well and if you uh, walk into pretty much any video game store on the planet you can find both of these games for the price that i mentioned of ten dollars yeah i mean these these ones are always at stores but uh kirsten what what are your first memories of the incredibles did you see the incredibles in theaters mike i have the memory of a goldfish i have no idea where i saw the incredibles <laughs> <Memory of Dory. laughs> yeah. a blue tang yeah uh i don't know where i saw incredibles i would assume in theaters at this point mm -hmm. uh when it came out where was incredibles on your tier ranking remind oh, me oh it's top tier it's s rank um and so why nice. why is it s rank why is it so good i got all my reasons but i want to hear your reasons oh um i love the characters the storyline is really good as well going from how they start off with just heroes goofing it and having to go into hiding <laughs> and then it just kind of goes through this kind of um, depression of Mr. Incredible and how he gets mm. to become a superhero again how he gets the supers to come back out which is really fun it's a nice family mm -hmm. uh, dynamic as well with um, I love the sibling rivalry between Dash and Violet a little bit. It's very relatable. <laughs> uh, I love Edna. Who doesn't love Edna? Yes. Edna uh, my little Lord. sister, <laughs> Jillian, she talked so much when she was a kid. She still talks a lot now, but uh, <laughs> when you're a kid, you don't. You just talk nonsense. You don't add any new information to the conversation. So <laughs> when she was a kid, we just call her Edna, as well as Donkey, because um, <laughs> she talked so much when we wanted her to shut up. <laughs> I love the, uh, like, with uh, Incredibles. I just love how it, it it can be seen just as a simple family movie, but it can also be seen in like the lens of like a very complex movie that deals with super adult issues. And uh, like even like from the moment the, the film starts, like it, it starts by a guy trying to kill himself and yeah. uh, Mr. Incredible <laughs> getting in crap because he tried to save a guy who was trying to kill himself and now he gets sued. I'm like, wow, this is like a whole thing, like people getting sued, like, like people k killing themselves. And then we have uh, kind of the bureaucracy of what superheroes are. And that's something that I think Brad Bird did such a great job of as like the writer and the director is like showing the other side of superheroes. Uh, you have to uh, be uh, having your secret identity, which for him is 
what's he like an insurance adjuster like a claims yeah. adjuster like the <laughs> yes. most yeah. boring you know awful <laughs> job that you can have and it, it is such a I, I love that and like watching it as an adult I was like ah, oh, this is why my parents loved it so much I remember seeing yep. it in theaters with them and like they were blown away at it because of that and even the the villain's motives in the movie too, like mm-hmm. it's his syndrome and his his goal is to make everyone super because if everyone's super, no one is. Like basically trying to equalize everybody. Like that's yeah. such a that's such a clever idea for a villain. And his, he's just like a guy who met his hero when he was a kid, and like that was his that was his like moment of turning to the dark side kind of thing, which is really <laughs> funny. Um, I love that idea too of like making everybody equal, so no one is better than the other, which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting, but. Like you said, Mike, this movie is very hype. It got a lot of people out to the theaters, a lot of families invested because it related to everyone's, you know, sibling rivalry and working mundane jobs and everything that everybody can relate to, basically. And with that, the game, including console and handheld sales, sold 2.5 million copies worldwide, which made it that one of the highest grossing movie tie-in games between 2004 and 2005, which is pretty impressive for a Pixar game. That is really impressive, actually. And Neil, we're going to be going through quite a few Pixar movies here. So I, of course, have to ask both you and Kirsten the question here. Who is John Rassenberger in this movie? Of course, John Rassenberger plays a Pixar character in every single Pixar movie. So do you guys know who he plays in this one? Uh, Not off the top of my head, no. He comes in at the very last minute and he is the underminer. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do his classic voice yeah his, his voice isn't as recognizable at that one i think also because you're just like so far in the film as well <laughs> yeah it's a bit of a messy end to uh the incredibles one be having a game tie-in that sort of explains the end of pixar or the end of uh, the incredibles and then carrying on to the next movie but then the next movie actually comes out 13 years later and retcons that game but we'll get to that in just a few minutes uh heavy iron studios we've talked about them before in the past uh they have Proven themselves being very good at making Spongebob games, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, making really good looking 3D environments in cartoon worlds. Uh, this game right off the bat, though, like you're making you're they're making effects for a Pixar game. Yes, but Incredibles was really meant to be one of the first ever, like, I guess, real cities that we had ever seen, like an actual metropolis. And this game looks pretty rough in the environment department. Um, <laughs> I remember it looking really good as a kid on certain levels, which uh, we can talk about in a few minutes. But the game opens up uh, in the big city. You're playing as Mr. Incredible. And we've already seen games like Spider-Man that look really good. Um, the, the early Spider-Man 1 game even looks pretty good. This game, like, the textures are really bad. Mike, I don't know if you noticed that when you started uh, playing this game or watching gameplay. They don't look good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Uh, I know Kirsten was also watching some gameplay uh, to kind of get herself familiarized because she did play it back in the day. And I, I know I'm going to ask you, what do you remember about this game, Kirsten? And you're going to be like, nothing because I have the memory of Dory. But uh, <laughs> when you're when you're rewatching it, what uh, what stood out to you? Uh, I remember uh, from w- watching it, I, nothing stood out except for the levels where Mr. Incredible is in like the forest mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on the island, trying to find whatever the octopus monster robot thing um (laughs) yeah auto octavius ball yeah i feel like i remember that a lot because i was probably stuck on that level a lot yeah sure sure. you know i like side scrollers and this was like kind of open world figure out what to do kind of thing i'm not smart enough for that for some reason (laughs) but that's kind of what stood out to me there's a lot of stuff i don't remember especially at the end maybe i didn't make it that far i said to you guys earlier that uh I remember the dash level where he like runs through the streets trying to dodge everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't see that in the gameplay for some reason. Maybe it's a bonus level. I don't know what, 
but I remember just playing that level over and over and over again, trying to beat my last uh, time. That was probably the most prominent memory of that game for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dash level in the Incredibles game is like kind of the shining star of all of it. Like you get to play each level individually as each character. So you play as Mr. Incredible, Mrs. Incredible, Violet, Dash. You never get to play as Jack Jack from what I remember. But I remember loving the dash levels. You're basically It's basically an over-the-shoulder running level where you're just running through the streets, avoiding cars, avoiding potholes, avoiding construction sites and fire trucks. And really, it makes you wonder how the hell could anybody possibly live in this residential neighborhood but people manage it um but it really it's basically a sonic level uh when you go back and watch it it's like it's basically my favorite sonic level that i've ever played actually uh going back to it now it obviously doesn't age particularly well but it definitely is the most fun of all of the levels in in this game because really when you think about the incredibles you can only remember the the pars neighborhood and city for the most part and the jungle and that's kind of it. Like there aren't a lot of locations in this in that movie. Like yes, there are. There, there's Edna's lab, and there's like the ocean, I guess. But like those aren't really levels that you <laughs> want to play in a video game. So I'm the same as Kirsten, where I remember the dash level, and I remember playing in the jungle because that's that's where the movie was the most interesting. Really, was were those two things. So the game itself though follows the plot for the movie pretty closely, which is good to see. Um, I also have to give a shout out to the music in this game. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but the orchestrated music in this game is really good. I mean, the music in Incredibles in general is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Incredibles has the best soundtrack for any Pixar movie. I don't know if there's other ones that you guys can think of. Maybe Up. Ups is really good too, but... Soul is pretty darn good. I would say they all have really good soundtracks, or a large majority of them. Just the way they use music is really... I think I was watching an analysis of like Big Hero 6 or something and they're saying how it could have been made so much more emotional if they did music the way Pixar does because what they do is they have their like happy music that goes that you associate with good times or whatever throughout the movie and then they play it over a sad part of the movie and then just makes you feel different. Does that I don't think I'm explaining it right. The, some, the person on YouTube no, no, did. No, that makes but- sense. <laughs> Don't you dare trash talk Big Hero 6. Are you saying you're trash talking Big Hero 6? <laughs> no, right? I'm saying, well, I would trash it, but that's, I'm, not, I'm not here to t- trash uh, Big Hero 6. I'm just saying it could have been better had they used music the way that Pixar does. I can see that, yeah. I, I guess so, yeah. But no, this. Uh, I, I guess they take a lot of the music right from the movie. So with that, like the music isn't timed obviously to what's going on if you're outside of a cutscene. But still, like when there's a heavy action sequence going on and you're going through a really slow moving level as Mr. Incredible because the frame rate dips so often, uh, it's nice <laughs> like to have some really, really bombastic and cinematic music playing over it. Like it just it hit so much better. And the voice acting itself is also pretty good. Mike, I know uh, you're a big fan. You and I are both big fans of voice actors, but. Does everyone come back in this game to reprise their roles? No, it is not Craig T. Nelson. I noticed that almost immediately. Uh, And it's not Samuel L. Jackson. Although I believe uh, I have to look up who the guy's name is, but his name sounds like a knockoff of Samuel L. Jackson. Did you look this up, Neil? Yeah, it's Isaac C. Singleton Jr. as Mr. (laughs) as uh, Frozone. That's who plays Isaac C. Singleton, I feel, is like the the bizarro version of (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) Yeah, they just sound a little bit off, all of these characters, which is too bad. And it's going to be the same for most of the games that we're talking about today. The characters did not reprise their roles, which is such a shame because last week we talked about all those Cartoon Network games and uh, pretty much every single character came back 
which was uh, which was good. But one thing about this game too that kind of bothered me was that it's constantly telling you what to do, and this is the same thing in Incredibles ah, Two, which yes. Mike and I have played a little bit together co-oply, but. I was watching, like, I, I, I didn't beat Incredibles back in the day. I pretty much got up to, like, the dash levels, and then I kind of faded away from it because I got frustrated by a an Elastigirl level. I forget what was going on. But uh, I, I skipped ahead to basically the last level where you're playing as Mr. Incredible, and the game tells you how to open a door five hours <laughs> in. <laughs> And it's like you, you, you might we, not know. <laughs> no, I know, but like, I know that we see this all the time with these types of games. But it's it's super frustrating. Like that they, I know that it's a game for kids. I totally get it. But the other thing, the big one, is that you never get to fight as all of the Incredibles at once. You're always one or the other on screen. Do you think that that was a missed opportunity there? That they could have had all four on screen at the same time? Yeah, like to do it the way like they did Shrek. Uh, so you just kind of swap between. Well, that would be the perfect, like, Shrek 2, uh, like we talked about when you were last on, is actually a pretty fun game. And the, the way they did it was, was like, was uh, pretty advanced, I guess, for the time being a 2002, 2003 game. So it's it's strange that they didn't just kind of almost use that formula that clearly worked and Shrek 2 sold pretty well uh, and use it for The Incredibles. But hey, what do they care? Like Neil said, <laughs> it was the best-selling movie tie-in yeah. game for 2004, 2005. Uh, and which is, I guess, why it ended up getting a, a, a game sequel, which is, I don't think this has ever happened before or since. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, up until 2018, The Incredibles Rise of Underminer was kind of considered the unofficial sequel to the movie. But then 2018, we got The Incredibles 2. So the official plot for the second Incredibles video game on GameCube is now officially considered non-canon. But you play the entire game as Mr. Incredible and Frozone. Uh, the other Incredibles are there, but they basically just make appearances in cutscenes and in levels. You never actually get to play as them. The same voice actors don't come back. The old guys do. We have Richard McGonagall as uh, as uh, Mr. Incredible and Isaac C. Singleton Jr. as Frozone. And uh, it's actually not a bad game. Mike and I played this game a little bit at the cottage. It's fun. It's just that you play the first 10 minutes and you've pretty much played the entire game. Mike, is that the kind of vibe that you got from it? Kinda, and you did mention voice actors. John Rassenberger actually does reprise his role in the video game, so that is him playing the Underminer uh, throughout. Yeah. <laughs> and it is cool. I think it's a really cool idea that the fact that they were able to just kind of continue the movie, but in a video game. This is pretty advanced. Like this would never uh, have happened before. So I'm I'm glad they tried it. But uh, and the gameplay feels fresh. It feels nice to control. It's a well-made game. There's no glitches or anything. It's a bit repetitive, but. Uh, you know, other than that, I enjoyed playing it. And I wanted to keep playing to see where the story went, which is uh, a sign of a good game. I think the the biggest flaw of it was the fact that it's really short, and for a game that's introducing a whole new story, that's part of a, a franchise that already exists. I feel that's a miss. Yeah, and also it introduced a nice. Uh, you have a nice skill tree there, and I was playing as Frozone. You were playing as Mister Incredible, and we played for maybe an hour, or half an hour to an hour of that game, and I had already leveled up my uh the ice beam or whatever you call it to yeah, shoot yeah, at enemies fully. to freeze them i fully leveled it up and at that point i didn't feel like i needed to level anything else up like i could have punched harder or jumped higher i forget what what else i could do but i was like yeah. well this is pretty much all i need because now i can freeze people in about one second and then and then you can break them into a thousand pieces so uh leveling up your characters really wasn't that useful maybe later on in the game it becomes more useful so Making the game a little bit more challenging could have been nice if you're playing with a friend. I think if you're playing with just yourself and then the other guy's AI, I'm sure that makes the game quite a bit harder because the AI in this game is not as sharp as it could be. But uh, both of these games received an E10 rating or above, uh, making it one of the first Pixar games to do that. So mm. actually a pretty uh, mature 
Pixar game as they come. Kirsten, did you watch Incredibles 2 that eventually came out uh, after this in 2018? Of course. And what were your thoughts on it compared to the original? Um, it's not as good as the original. Um, it was okay. I mean, it was. I think it was good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it was good enough. I felt the story was a little bit, a little bit more divided between. Uh, it was more of a divided story between you know Mrs. Incredible and then the rest of them. And they had this weird, yeah, I don't know. It was fine. And the villain was stupid. <laughs> I don't, Honestly, I don't even really remember the villain. I just remember, I remember thinking basically what you, you said, like that. It was okay. It, it's probably the best they could have done after 15 years of being away from it. And I don't know if you guys remember this from the theater, if you guys saw it in the theaters. But when I saw it, the the before the film started, Craig T. Nelson, Brad Bird, and Holly Hunter uh, we're all there, like uh, on screen, basically saying, "Hey, sorry it took 15 years. The movie's probably <laughs> not going to live up to what you're thinking, but like, just watch it." And I was like, "Whoa, I've never seen that before." That was incredibly <laughs> awkward. I was like, "What? Like, I've never seen a movie come out like the actors come on screen before a film to be like temper your expectations." Like, it was, I was like, "Okay," like it was just incredibly weird. Like it would be like if. I guess Chris Evans came on screen before Lightyear and be like, all right, just calm down. I'm not Tim Allen. It'll be okay. Like, it's just, it's really weird that they addressed that. Like, we we knew that it had been 15 years. We didn't need them to say it. But anyway, when are we getting a Bug's Life 2? That's what I need to know. Never, never. No one wants that. <laughs> I do. No, you're, you're wrong to want that. <laughs> you're objectively wrong. <laughs> Those characters have so much left to live. Those bugs are all dead by now. I mean, we've had three Cars movies and like four spinoffs from it. So maybe one day you'll. <laughs> Everything gets a sequel except for like Up, well, all of my favorite ones. Up, Wally, A Bug's Life. No sequels there. But no, we're going to get six car movies and eight plane <laughs> movies and Shrek 5 is coming out soon. It's ridiculous. Uh, well, uh, why don't we read the back of the cases while we still have Kirsten on? She can listen to the beautiful back in my case or back, back in my uh, <laughs> back of the case segment. <laughs> what do you think? I don't want to be back in your case, Mike. <laughs> Kirsten, get in Mike's case. <laughs> but first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading The Back of the Case. Super strength, super speed, invisibility, elasticity. These are your powers. Bombs, bullets, robots, lasers. Your enemy controls them all. The only way to survive being the Incredibles is to truly be incredible. Your, okay, so it explains your control, or it explains your powers, it explains what your enemy has, and oh great, there's one player. (laughs) Yeah, player only. All right, moving on to the next back of the case here, which is The Incredibles, Rise of the Underminer. Twice the action, twice the danger, twice the heroics. Join Mr. Incredible and Frozone in nonstop action as they venture underground to defeat the Underminer and his evil robot minions before they dominate the world. That's another thing too about that game is like being underground for the entire game is is kind i get it had to be part of the plot because you're fighting a giant mole but like <laughs> it, it's nice to not be underground sometimes yeah i agree with that too it was kind of it was quite dark and as we know games back in this era couldn't do like dark textures very well and the shadows very well so everything just looks black all the time and it's kind of hard to see but yeah yeah 
Um, and Kirsten, before we let you go, my question to you, our final question, would be who's your favorite member of The Incredibles? Oh, uh, like personality-wise or like power-wise? Who, who would you want to be if you, if you got to choose? Well, Jack-Jack has the most powers. <laughs> mm, that's true. But like he would be a baby, right? Isn't that kind of what he did? He can do like a million things, Neil. Oh my god, <laughs> have you not seen Jack Jack Attack? <laughs> really? I don't remember Incredibles. No, it's too. it's in the the short. No, <laughs> you haven't seen the short? Maybe. Oh, when he's like baby, when he's being babysat by yeah. the girl or whatever. Like, yeah, I love I love that part where like they explain what's going on with the um because like, she leaves them a bunch of voicemails and you get to see what she's doing the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, that was a great twist ending. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I have seen that, yes. Yeah. I, I remember now. But I thought he was like a shapeshifter. I didn't know he had all of their powers. No, no, he doesn't have all of their powers. He has like a bunch of different powers. Like he can he can burst into fl- – according to the Jack-Jack attack one, I think he can burst through – burst into flame, turn into a giant, strong, red demon baby. Uh, I think he can right. float and transport through walls and laser eye vision. Oh, yes, that's right, the laser eyes. You know what? He doesn't really know what he, he can do yet, and uh, neither does Edna. That's why she just makes the suit. It's like, I don't know what the baby can do, so it can withstand fire because <laughs> <laughs> the baby just goes through fire. <laughs> Who would you want to be, Mike? Who's your favorite Incredible, did you say? Uh, Edna Mode. She's my favorite Incredible. Hmm. You have you are passionate for fashion, though, so that makes sense. <laughs> Edna. Mode. She's impressive, though. She can, <sighs> she can make fabric that just disappears. What? Like what is this? I, yeah. I really I, I really enjoy her her fashion that that she, that she does there, and I also just enjoy how she uh, treats her employees. You know, employees. <laughs> uh, she's she's the queen oh. of the castle. She uh she she doesn't take any crap from anybody. I no. I, uh, I really like that. <laughs> I was like, what employees? But just the guy who answers the door, right? <laughs> Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, seems to be her only employee. He's the and, HR, and, and, he's finance, he's security, he's all of them. Yeah, I also love that Brad Bird voices her. I didn't know that until, <laughs> like, today, basically. Uh, so really? I'm, uh, I'm very happy. Yeah, yeah, he voices her. Or, or I, are you saying really that I didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Oh, well, there you go. Now I'm just teaching everybody. <laughs> there we go. That's what this podcast is all about, Mike. It's all about learning, but uh, thank you very much, Kirsten, for coming on today. Friend of the show, Kirsten, we always love to have you on, and uh, we hope to see you again real soon. Yeah, man. Bye. Take care, Kirsten. (laughs) Say say hi to Kita for us. Hi, Kita. Bye. Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Kirsten, for coming on. As always, friend of the show, we'd love to have you on and talk about some Pixar Incredibles and yeah, Neil, I don't know about your Bugs Life pick at number one. uh, I'm not as mad as Kirsten, but uh, Hmm. it's... It's not in my top 10. That's all we'll say. <laughs> I don't care. It's in my top 10, and that's all that matters. I appreciate both of your top 10s, though. There weren't really, other than maybe Inside Out, like, I would I would pretty much take any of your guys' picks and put them in my top 10, too. I forgot. I completely left out Coco. I feel bad about that one. Honestly, that is that is a great film. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good, nice acoustic guitar in there. Some, uh, some great music. I love the music in Coco. The visuals in that one are good. So that would probably be my honorable mention, for sure. Uh, but no, A Bug's Life will always probably be my number one. But it's it's really a time and place thing. Like, I don't even remember how old I was. Oh, yeah. I was, Same with Inside Out yeah, for me. Yeah, it's, it's all time and place stuff. Like, uh, who was it? You mentioned Finding Dory, I think, right? Like, there's that movie. You or Kirsten mentioned Finding Dory. And that, that's that got my favorite Pixar short in it. 
Uh, the one about Piper, the uh, the little sandpiper f- uh, bird, and that was oh yeah, that was really just because like like again time and place. Like I was, it was like about a little bird who was kind of learning basically independence from its from its parents, from its mom, and it became like better. It learned on its own how to do shell hunting better than they could, kind of thing. And it was like really proud of itself, and it was showing other people how to do this. And like this was at a time when you and I were both like you know learning. We were and exiting school. We were starting to move out. We were getting jobs, and it just like and I saw that movie with my mom. So like it just hit so much harder mm-hmm. because it was like a mother kid story and like it was that time of my life. So like that like it's just it's really all just time and place with a lot of these things. And The Incredibles is one of those incredible movies where you know you see it in 2004. We were 10 or 11 years old, which is prime time for a kid to like a superhero movie. And this was basically an incredible Fantastic Four film that uh, we kind of got, but this is the better Fantastic Four trilogy or Fantastic Four franchise in my opinion. I agree. I love The Incredibles, one of my favorite movies of all time. But we're going to be going on now to one of my other favorite movies that didn't get a great game, Finding Nemo. But before we talk about Finding Nemo, Neil, we have a guest joining us, which is, of course, Ramon, enemy of the pod, Ramon. And we're excited to have him back on to talk about some Pixar games and Pixar in general. But our first question to you, Ramon, would be, what is your favorite Pixar film? Uh, Monsters, Inc. is obviously the best one. Mm, yeah it's nice I, I love monsters inc i that's that's a really rewatchable one for me and i think my favorite part about monsters inc i don't know about you guys is the the ending of it uh like or i think it's like post credits or mid credits when he's doing the uh the play yeah it's like he's like lived the lie that like he made up like saying that they're making a musical and then at the end he actually makes it like he has to go through with this <laughs> stupid thing that he said once i love that that's a great scene but that thing back where it came from or so help me so help me so help, <laughs> so help me, me. <laughs> da, da, da. she's out of <laughs> my hair <laughs> so he brings people together oh man monsters inc is a great movie neil's least favorite was or or one that he doesn't remember the most uh, was uh, Monsters Inc. Two Monsters University, uh, which I don't remember that well uh, either. But Ramon, what would be what would be your least favorite Pixar movie? Do you have one? Isn't everyone's like most least favorite uh, Pixar movie Cars or like the Cars franchise? Cars two, Cars yes. two. That's where most people save themselves. Is that like we see Cars one, and Cars one is actually a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like once they started to come out, like you see the trailers for Cars two, and then Cars three gets pooped out at some other point uh we we knew not to see it so we didn't count movies that we had never seen so i had never seen cars two or three so i couldn't vote on that one i only picked pixar films that i have seen uh, and i don't plan on ever seeing cars two or three so uh, it's a (laughs) win-win for me yeah i saw cars two and that was my least favorite but uh your memories of pixar in general do you know do you remember what like the first moment you were like whoa that's a pixar film yeah is uh was bugs life pixar Oh, you know yes, it. Yes, <laughs> it was, Ramon. Yes, it okay, was. Yes. It's Neil's favorite movie. Oh, is it? That's my favorite Pixar movie, yeah. I would say that was probably my first kind of like 3D kind of generated movie, even before Toy Story. I think I saw Bugs Life I before Toy Story. I think people our age probably did, right? Because Bugs Life came out when we were probably around six years old, and Toy Story came out close to when we were born. So we, we wouldn't have seen Toy Story in theaters. And at the time, like, it's not like... VHSs were super prominent everywhere. Uh, we usually got like just one or two, uh, and most of them were the, the Disney ones, mm-hmm. <laughs> the white Disney covers, the poofy, <laughs> poofy yeah. ones. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think Bugs Life would probably be mine too that I first remember, like a 3D animated or 3D generated one. 
It's funny that like back back in the 90s and the 2000s, you knew when you were going to a Pixar movie because nothing looked quite like it. Like nothing was there weren't that many 3D animated films except for Shrek. Like there was Shrek and then there was Pixar films and that was basically it. And DreamWorks started to come out with more like they made Ants suspiciously around the same time as A Bug's Life. Uh, but then they also started to do like How to Train Your Dragon and those movies. But in the early 2000s, like you had basically the 2D movies that Disney were making still. And then you had Pixar and it was such a dramatic leap in animation quality compared to what we were used to and now you go to the movies and every single animated film to me looks the same like i don't know the difference between a pixar film a disney film a an illumination film like it all just looks so similar like we watch a movie and it's like was this pixar and it's like no this is disney it's like god damn it like i can't i can't keep track of it anymore so it's kind of sad that that animation has just become synonymous with all animated films and there's really nothing that makes anything stand out like everyone like praises the the visual quality of whatever soul comes out or frozen 2 and it's like yeah but they all look like this now like it's not that they don't look good it's just that it's not special anymore which is sad but yeah like those early pixar films really do resonate with with us especially because it just blew our little minds back in the day and for me that was a bug's life too and that's why a bug's life is the greatest pixar film of all time thank you for coming (laughs) to my ted talk (laughs) yeah i know what you mean because is minions minions is illumination yeah right? yeah we don't talk about minions here today we were yeah, right we, see, and when i saw the first this book of me i had pixar standards for it and i'll be honest it did not hold up no illumination nope. feels like poor man's pixar for sure it it yeah. illumination is just not in my opinion just not good in terms of like their their quality looks because even pixar stuff today still looks like it's hand done i, I know it's not like it's 3d generated but still it's like it feels like someone created the whole world where Illumination feels like it just went through a computer, you know, and just spit, yeah. they just spat out whatever. And like Neil always says, it looks so clean, too clean. Yeah, everything is too clean. Like the Grinch is ridiculous. Like it looks like it looks like someone read the Grinch to AI and then AI spat out something with Benedict Cumberbatch's <laughs> voice in it. I haven't seen it, but that's what I got from the trailer. But we're not here to talk about Despicable Me and all those little minions. We're here to, we brought Ramon on today to talk about Finding Nemo on the GameCube. Finding Nemo was released on May 12th, 2003, developed by Traveler's Tales, published by THQ yet again. It's on PlayStation 2, Xbox, Windows, and Game Boy Advance. Rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $10.00. This is an action-adventure... It's a swimming game. No surprise there. As of the end of 2005, guys, this game has sold over 5 million units across all consoles, which is just crazy. And you can obviously chalk that up to the popularity of Finding Nemo being just a powerhouse of a film made almost a billion dollars in the box office back in 2005 on a $94 million budget, which is just insane. For a movie to 10x its money... Mike, you're a film expert. How often does that happen? Not that often, especially for an animated film. So that that was yep. and in 2003 or four, whatever uh, it was. So that's uh, that's pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, the the game itself, uh, Ramon, you played this game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I picked it up at my local Walmart bargain bin. Um, nice. So it was Good definitely story. under twenty dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I paid nineteen dollars too much for it because this Ooh. game is bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not good uh, by any means, for sure. Of course, the movie is fantastic. That's one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, I saw it in theaters. I loved it. So many great characters, great voice acting. Albert Brooks, one of my favorite comedians, voicing Marlon or Marvin, whatever his name is. I'll Allison Janey, uh, Willem Dafoe, Ellen, uh, and then Neil John Rastenberger, of course, is in this movie, uh, and Ramon, too. Maybe you know this. Do you know who John Rastenberger is? No, I don't. I, I do. He plays the school of bluefish. 
in the film. Nice job. Yeah. Thank you. I get it all. Mike, you missed one very important voice actor in this movie, and that is, of course, uh, everybody loves Raymond's brother, Robert, playing the blowfish. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot about that. (laughs) Also, the mechanic in uh, Seinfeld. Great casting choice right there to put Robert from Everybody Loves Raymond as the... As the uh, as the blowfish in that movie, that was just a terrific casting choice. But uh, none of those characters came back to voice their roles in Finding Nemo, the uh, the game based on the movie, uh, which is just jarring. Like you hear oh. Marlin talk for the first time, Oof. and it's it sounds like someone trying to do their Shaggy impression, but they can't do that right. It's it's bad. Like that was I don't know about you, Ramon, but that was the first thing I noticed. I would just was like, oh my god, this is not the voice actor. Well, what makes it worse is that they actually interject clips from the movie on top of uh like see like cutscenes in the game as well yes. so you can really tell the difference when you play a cutscene and it's like a game in-game cutscene as well so it's very and the quality of the visuals as well obviously yeah it just goes down yeah. so fast after after you see a movie cutscene yeah that was a bad idea because it just shows the, the the difference between the two like without seeing the movie cutscenes actually this game doesn't look terrible like it's not bad it's not as bad as the um like aquaman or something there are definitely worse looking underwater games on the gamecube sure. and even some of the boss fights look okay well boss fights is a strong word for it <laughs> uh, even some of the um the chase levels which i guess is every single boss fight in this game is you swimming away from something bigger than you so you got the scuba diver the sharks and some other stuff the jellyfish levels which god the jellyfish level the gamecube just crashes like the frame rate on those levels is so bad <laughs> But, like, some some parts of it actually don't look half bad. Like, the parts that are just open sea and you've got some plant life in there. Like, I've seen way worse looking water levels. It's just, as Mike and I have talked about in past episodes, we, uh, we're not big fans of water levels. And that's obviously all of this game is, which is uh, a bit of a shame. But at least in this game, you get to play as all of your favorite characters, Nemo, Marlin, and Dory, which is good. But, um, yeah, with those cutscenes being from the movie and then the, the voice actors not being the, the movie actors, it kind of takes you out of it just a little bit but this game's pretty short though ramon did you ever beat this game back in the day or did you rage quit after a few minutes um i i think i i'm pretty sure i did finish it. i think i rage quit a few times in the middle but i'm pretty sure i did finish it what what made you rage quit do you remember so neil did you classify or is this game classified as an action adventure game yeah, but like everything, see, this is the problem with game <laughs> genres nowadays, or at least like just back in the day, is that everything that is like you getting from one end of a level to another is an action adventure game or a 3D platformer. And that's basically it. Like, I don't know what else you would uh... call this game in terms of a like a genre of a video game. Like you're, it's an adventure and you're, it's live action. I don't know what else to call it. So yes, live uh, action adventure. I would consider this game and a few other games uh, race rings where mm. you are just navigating through something and it's usually you have to follow a sequence of rings and that's the game Great. really. So I think the only other game I can think of was uh, not a GameCube but like Superman 64 the, where you yes. most of the point of the game is just you flying around <laughs> going into rings. But this game yeah. is the same concept but it's underwater and has a really good IP but the biggest crime of this game is just the depth perception and like the different angles you're in water and you think that you can pass certain things and it's hard to distinguish what is a wall and what is not and it's it doesn't make sense so and i don't know if that's like a limitation of the gamecube or if it's the format of any kind of underwater game but you know there is a z plane that you have to play uh, play with but sometimes it's not consistent oh that would drive me crazy I, I hate that. I, I know that's a bit of a 
thing that would happen in early 2000s games, but I think Finding Nemo just takes it another step, especially because you are underwater. That just makes it so much, so much worse in that sense. But the game switches between camera angles too on its own, doesn't it? Like it goes from the 3D kind of, or like I guess 2.5D, and then it goes to a straight 2D kind of uh, plane as well. And then, then it goes to the boss level, which is basically swimming straight at the screen. So it's actually kind of similar to that Shamu's Adventure game, Mike, that we've played before. It's it's kind of got the same vibe as that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a good. Uh, that's not a good way <laughs> no, to, to think about it, because <laughs> it's a bad game. <laughs> not a high bar at all, but it's kind of like that. And it, God, if, if the camera if the camera doesn't work in this game, like we talked about last week with uh, Powerpuff Girls being like a terrible flight flight simulation game, uh, this one being basically the same kind of idea where it's just a bad swimming simulation game. That that's just a shame. And what to what breaks it or what they try to do to break it up, and this is I think why I raged quit a lot, Mike, was there's puzzles. It's not mm. just a swimming game. Uh. There's puzzles where you have to like make a ball flow into this area, but also oh, it yeah. won't like make sure it doesn't get stabbed or you have to do like these slide puzzles and it's just so annoying and there's no skill to it whatsoever you're just like moving around and like it's just it's usually the nemo parts too where like he's trying to get out of the tank so that's really boring but like the dory parts and the mervin marvin marlin marlin um that one that one that one kind of cheat that one's like consistently like a ring race so <laughs> i guess there's a variety they they they're so so soul crushing to watch uh 64 super superman 64 definitely thought of that when i saw it i also thought of the harry potter games for quidditch uh when you have mm. to go through all the rings when you're flying around but uh worse because yeah the one thing I really, really don't like in games is when you have to do races or do anything that goes towards the camera, towards the screen. Yeah. And it's just the weirdest feeling because you don't know how your controls will work properly. You don't, it's just like an opposite uh, way that you would ever be playing a game or just moving yourself, right? You don't move towards things like that. So it's right. it's so jarring to do that in a game. And especially when you're trying to, hit these rings and like Ramon said the death perception gets completely skewed because of that like that is very frustrating yeah I think a lot of games were copying the Crash Bandicoot uh, model there because that's a, that's very much I remember seeing that the first time with Crash Bandicoot not a lot of Nintendo games did it from what I can remember other than mm. maybe Mario Party mini games uh, but putting that like in an actual platforming game that feels like a crash thing to do Crash Bandicoot it works pretty well and that's a beloved franchise obviously but it seemed like anytime anybody ever tried to copy it it did not go well especially flying through rings like I I got the same disorienting feeling too like is that is that ring actually high up or is it just like floating across the screen high and it's actually middle like it it's breaks your brain trying to think about it it's too bad but this is one of those movies too and I, we're going to talk about another one a little bit later where it's like yes they obviously had to make a video game based on it because it was so huge and every movie needed a game but like I don't have a better idea for a game for Finding Nemo, but this this isn't it. <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, uh, Ramon, what would you do to try and improve this game? You change it to a first-person shooter, or like a third-person, <laughs> and you play as the shark. <laughs> oh yes. my god, as Bruce. The Bruce, or you play as the dentist, and you actually play the villain in this game. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's a great idea. It's a dentist simulator game. That'd be a great idea. Yeah, you go around stealing fish. Fish are not our friends, not food. But yes, a shark simulation game would have been sweet. The last thing I want to say about this game, because there's not a lot of good parts to say about it, and we kind of said the good parts already, is just the environment being 
really nice and and they did a good job with the kind of conveying what the what the movie is uh it's the subtitles and the text on screen i don't know if you remember this ramon when you were kind of doing mm. research again this week but my god does it look like animated word art to me <laughs> yeah isn't it like a weird like papyrus looking kind of font no it's just it's like just like a blocky it's probably like impact or something like the meme font but it just like it's it's moving all the time and it has like this shadow on it and it's really Ugh. disorienting and uh I was like getting nauseous looking at it because it's like going back it's like skewing it's going back and forth it's like I guess it's trying to be like oh we're in the water you know you're underwater <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like I I was so disoriented trying to read while I was moving I was like you should not have moving text when I'm trying to read it <laughs> once people Yeah disorientation is a common theme for this game eh and I think for a lot of underwater games. <laughs> I forgot that they put the Pixar ball in this game too. Like the red, yellow, orange ball. Or the red, yellow, and blue ball that like has the star on it. You gotta like knock it up through rings. Oh man, this looks... <laughs> yes, I hated it. I hated it so much. <laughs> Who could not have fun playing this game? <laughs> oh no, and if you miss it, it just falls back down. Oh no. I have a question. Yes, yes. So I always associate this game with THQ, and this is what I know THQ for. Mm-hmm. Did they make any other good games? Or I feel like they're the company that always has like a really good IP, but really awful games. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, you're correct uh, that they put out, not, I wouldn't say awful. They put out mostly very mediocre uh, games just because they were dealing with all these franchises, all these licensing. Uh, most of THQ's games at the time were licensed games and were movie tie-ins or cartoon tie-ins. Their only thing that they, I would say, successfully did critically would be the SpongeBob games. And Neil might be able to comment on some of the other stuff they've done. I mean, it all depends on what your definition of success is. Like as a publisher, they they do put out a lot of games. Like I I, I took count here. Uh, we're going to talk about it more towards the end of the episode, but. This is 2003 THQ. They didn't go bankrupt until I think 2010 when they put out U-Draw, which was a complete failure, <laughs> enough to bankrupt them. But like you look oh, at wow. Finding Nemo, it sold 5 million units and let's assume everyone bought it at Ramon's price of uh, 20 bucks. That's <laughs> that's still $100 million, yeah. right? Is that 100 million? Yeah, 100 million dollars. And then we have The Incredibles selling 2.5 million copies worldwide across all consoles and again, if that's uh, 20 bucks a console or 20 bucks a copy or so, that's that's another several million dollars on those two games alone across t- a year between those two games, between Incredibles and Finding Nemo. And the development time can't be more than a year on these games. I don't know how many people work for Heavy Iron Studios and um, Traveler's Tales at the time. But no, THQ was doing very well in the 2000s, mainly because they were making these tie-in games based on IP. Ramon, like you said, a very valuable IP. They got their hands on a lot of valuable IP before they became valuable in terms of like video games. Like No one would have cared about... Like Pixar games, yes, they were they were big because of the IP names, but like they weren't big because like Pixar was not as big as they are now back in the early two thousands. Uh, same thing with SpongeBob. Like SpongeBob, the first couple of SpongeBob video games were basically flops. Uh, they weren't big until it came to GameCube. There were a couple on Game Boy Color and stuff that didn't do very well, but it wasn't until the movie tie-in and Battle for Bikini Bottom. So they did a good job of kind of identifying IP a little bit early and then capitalizing on it. But yeah, that eventually caught up with them when uh, people stopped caring about these licensed games in the late 2000s. And uh, then they fell flat on their face, and now they're back as THQ Nordic <laughs> doing whatever it is that they do. <laughs> They sound like they sell VPN. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, they, <laughs> THQ Nordic VPN. <laughs> oh, they, they definitely sound like an NFT kind of bro now, but uh, yeah. 
Ramon, is there anything else you'd like to say about Finding Nemo or Pixar in general before we read the back of the case? Yeah, just a friendly reminder to everyone that fish are friends, not food. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think we all need to hear that from time to time. That's important. But Neil, why don't we hear the back of the case for Finding Nemo? All right. Sounds good. There's not much here. It's just basically a giant picture of Bruce. Fish are friends, not food. Guide Marlin, Dory, and Nemo through the ultimate underwater adventure. I don't think so. Meet all of the great characters from the Disney Pixar movie, Finding Nemo, as you live all the excitement of the film's storyline. The search for Nemo is on, and it's up to you to find him. Dive in. Guys, do you think they find Nemo? Mm, probably not. Mm. Isn't there a sequel? Still looking for Nemo? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I prefer that to Finding Dory. There's also a free child's uh, ticket uh, if you... Uh, <laughs> You're going to say a free child. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get one free child if you buy Finding Nemo. Uh, and uh, it's uh, a free child's movie pass or $4.50 off any admission to see Finding Nemo. So they're giving you $4. How do you think that that went back in the day, these free movie tickets? Like, do you think people easily were able to redeem these things? Or do you think, like, that 13-year-old stoner that you just gave that to just didn't know what to do with it? I remember you redeeming one one time. Yeah. Uh, and I think we redeemed it through a rental <laughs> movie, <laughs> a rental oh. game uh, from Blockbuster. And I was like, ooh. Uh, and the people who check the cases, I don't think they care. So they're just like, okay. <laughs> I forget what movie it was, but I, I distinctly remember that. It might have been Finding Nemo. Hmm. It might have been Finding Nemo. It might have been Haunted Mansion. I remember that being a big thing, too. Haunted Mansion being on the cover. They put that on the case of all places. But uh, I don't think you're going to be able to use it now if you took that ticket to Cineplex. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But Ramon, thank you mm. very much for coming on today. We always appreciate your company and uh, your great memories. And uh, we hope to see you again real soon. Thanks, you guys. Take care, Ramon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Ramon, as always, for coming on, being the enemy of the pod. You know, he wasn't the enemy today. He was just a, he was a, he was a good guest and uh, he didn't need to take your place this time. You nope. didn't storm off, nope. Neil. Uh, uh, Finding Nemo didn't make you storm off, so that's good to see. Uh, maybe when we talk about um, Hey Pikmin on the next project that we do, mm. then uh, then, you can, then Ramon <laughs> can come on and take your place again. Well, Mike, I could have stormed off there talking about Bugs Life. Ramon got very close. I thought he was going to say A Bugs Life was his least favorite Pixar film. Then I might have stormed <laughs> off. And we never did get that, Buck, that Bugs Life uh, video game on GameCube. I know there was one on N64, which I should probably check out. I feel yeah, like all this, all this Bugs Life talk today, I should probably <laughs> put my money where my mouth is and play the N64 <laughs> game. I think that's one of like the first N64 games, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I see that game at uh, ANC Games all the time, but uh, never pulled the trigger on it. So maybe someday. But uh, until then, we still have a couple of games left to talk about today. So let's dive or let's drive right into the next Ooh. game of the day here, which is Cars, released on June 6, 2006, which is three days before the movie came out. Developed by Rainbow Studios, published yet again by THQ. This game was also on. Mike, are you ready for this? Oh, it's a, it's a big one. Big list. Yep. Game Boy Advance, DS, Wii, Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 2, PSP, Xbox, and Xbox 360. Rates a 7 out of 10. Priced today at around $15. This is a racing game, and it's basically a Need for Speed clone, if you will, with the car's skin on it. Uh, that sounded weird. But it sold 8 million <laughs> copies across all the 8 consoles wow. that it was on. So another example of THQ just making bank back in the mid-2000s. 2006 too this is the time right because you're gonna be having the console generation switch so it's on yep. uh basically four extra consoles uh because of that and yeah, the other we uh will always give it some more big boost there or did you say we yep it's on we 
Okay, yeah. So, yeah, we will give it a big boost there for sure. And Cars the Movie, um, I remember this movie, and I remember liking it a lot as a kid, but I don't remember that much about it. I, the, the What I do remember most, and just like Monsters, Inc., is the ending in the, the mid-credits scene. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, with John Rastenberger, do you know who he plays in this one, Neil? Uh, I do. He plays Lightning McQueen's tour truck. Uh, Mac Truck, yes, Mac, yeah, yeah, plays the, Mac. yeah the, Mac Truck, Mac. That's the one. Yeah, I, I don't remember the names from Cars. I just yeah. except for Mater <laughs> and uh, Lightning McQueen. Everybody else, I sure. don't know. But yeah, he and I remember at the very end, they're at the drive-in and they're watching <laughs> all of the Cars versions of the Pixar movies, and he's pointing out the same voice actor in all the movies. He's like, oh wow, this voice actor, oh, this this guy's great. He does a good <laughs> job because they watch and they watch all the Pixar movies, but in car form. So it's yes. like Car Story, A, a Car's, car's Life, Life, yes, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Cars Inc. Right, and uh, and yeah, they have and they have all the scenes with John Rastenberger in it. And then he realizes, like, hey, wait a minute, they're just using the same voice actor over and over again. What a bunch of cheap <laughs> cheapskates. <laughs> I love that fourth uh, wall breaking in there. Cars is interesting for me because you and I both saw this movie in theaters together. I remember seeing it with you. And we were both, you would have been 13, I was 12, almost 13. And this is the first Pixar movie that I remember seeing where I recognized a lot of the voice actors outside of Pixar. And, like, mm-hmm. Owen Wilson, Bonnie Hunt... Um, the, the John Rassenberger, of course, and a few others, but mainly Bonnie Hunt and Owen Wilson, just kind of, I guess, breaking the, uh, the fantasy for me, if you will, even though like I knew who like Tim Allen and Tom Hanks and like Willem Dafoe from the Spider-Man films, I knew all of those voice actors, but some part of my brain wasn't able to pin the voice to the face yet, but this was the age where I could. Um, so I guess that's like where uh, I started to become a man at the age of 12, Mike, I suppose. <laughs> but um, the voice actors from Cars did reprise their roles for this game. Uh, specifically, I remember uh, Owen Wilson is back here, too. I believe Bonnie Hunt is in there. It sounds like her. Paul Newman is back. Um, but one interesting voice actor that I wanted to call out is Michael Keaton is in this game. Who does he play in Cars? He's not in the film, but Cars, the video game oh. on GameCube, is actually not a film uh replay of the film it's uh it's actually a sequel to the movie uh lightning Kinda, lightning yeah i w- well i would say less of a sequel more of like an expanded universe of, of the of the movie yeah it's kind of like directly after and there's like some ex- there's this other cup that lightning mcqueen is trying to participate in for the first time mm-hmm. and uh you've got to like build up the community of radiator springs so it's kind of an expanded storyline of the cars movie but it did yeah. include some new characters which is uh, Michael Keaton's character, and he's like a racing car racing against Lightning McQueen. And right away, I was like, "Is that Michael Flippin' Keaton?" <laughs> and sure enough, it is. Oh, that's which is that's great. amazing. Yeah, I was doing some research on this uh, game, and you know, we always do research on the games. We'll try and play them, and I did play this game. Uh, and I was also watching some videos on it. There were a lot of videos about cars and about just people kind of taking deep dives into the game. And I guess I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this game is actually good because I, I see this game everywhere. Yeah. Like all these other games. It is literally at every single game store, like you said. Mm-hmm. And uh, for this game, they talked a lot. This one video that I was watching, uh, they were talking a lot about the fact that they used all a bunch of storyboard stuff and things that were on the cutting room floor. They just mm-hmm. brought back into the video game, which I think is so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what the what I mean by the, the expanded story. And and you're right, like a bit of a sequel as well, because they just took all these things that they had to cut for time or for other reasons, like these monster trucks that were in this game. They were right. part of the concept art. And so they kind of just reused it. They're like, well, we already have kind of the blueprint for just making uh, an expanded game. And I wish 
we could do this for every single movie because like isn't like yeah. that's that's such a great idea and the only reason this actually came to fruition was because John Lasseter, who's the director and writer, uh, Steve Perel, who's a story artist, and Joe Ramft, who died right before the, the movie came out, who was the co-writer, uh, they all worked on this game as well as on the movie. Oh, and okay. that's why it, it worked so well. And that's why they had access to everything. They had access to the, what the story was going to be. They had access to all the cutting room floor stuff and all the storyboards and all the extra things. And it just makes it such a full experience, much more than any other game I can think of. And they did such an amazing job of bringing Radiator Springs, the town that Lightning McQueen is kind of living in, in cars, to life. Like, you get to explore the town. It's an open-world racing driving game, which is really neat. None of the other Pixar games that we've talked about today are open-world games. They're all very linear. This game is linear, too, but it actually lets you explore the world that the Cars movie takes place in. And they do such a fantastic job. I feel like that if they had left this to, no offense to Heavy Iron Studios, but I feel like if they had left it solely to to heavy iron to make this and make up the town like it might not have ended up as well but no. you could tell that like they had a vision as to what the um what what the world was supposed to look like and how everything was supposed to fit together and how the roads are all supposed to work and all the cars like how all the cars are supposed to look and like the size of each car compared to each other like i feel like if 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 another developer had been given this license and given free reign to do it they would have made every car like look basically the same with different paint jobs and make them all sound the same and um, it would have been a bit more of a mess, but like we talked about on our last week's episode with uh, Cartoon Network, like there's certain franchises that you don't know that you want to see what the uh, what the world looks like until they give it to you. This is one of those worlds where they give it to mm-hmm. us, and it's actually really well done because, like, as a car, like you want to be able to explore. You shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be locked to just this one track because we've seen a lot of kart racing games and racing games at this point in this project that are that are just that and it, it's not there's not much replayability to it there's no, no reason to go back to it it's not fun to just goof off and drive around and see what you can find and this game does that uh all of the cars look fantastic like i'm i'm not a car guy and like i these are all obviously fake cars but the game looks terrific for a gamecube game it's a very late gamecube game but it's definitely using the power of the console to its advantage i love the the look of the cars driving along the uh the desert roads and the sound what did you think, Mike, about the, uh, the the cars in this game? Do you think graphically this game holds up to other racing games we've talked about, like Need for Speed or Burnout? I think so, yeah. Like, the, the cars definitely look good. The graphics are really nice. I thought it was really interesting that you could actually change what Lightning McQueen looks like. Yeah. Like, that was um, really interesting. Imagine being able to change your main character's, like, outfit at any time that you want. I think this is... Uh, being Mr. Incredible, imagine just having all these, all the different eras of Mr. Incredible for his outfits yeah. that you could change. Like that, that is such a cool little thing that clearly Rainbow just decided to put in on their own, on their own merit. It was like, yeah, let's just do this. Why not? And so it's, it's so different. And I don't know if you'd ever be able to do that today. Uh, and I, you mentioned Radiator Springs, of course, and how good that looks and the way that you can kind of explore it without even realizing that you wanted to explore it. Um, in terms of environment and how it looks at nighttime, man, mm. it looks so cool at night with all the neon signs and everything. And again, yeah. this is just a, a, an extra thing. They did not need to make a night version <laughs> of this game <laughs> where you drive around. They could have just made it all daylight all the time. But they did the nighttime version. Things were a little different in the town. Uh, I was really shocked by that. Like that was what really threw me. I was like, "Oh my god, they made like a a whole like day night cycle almost yeah. for this." Like that's that's really impressive. 
it's terrific and they also included some licensed music too there's actual tracks it's mostly country rock kind of stuff um mm-hmm. some cringy country no scum rock no uh, no kid rock in there <laughs> but there are some real country music in there which is uh, it's nice it, it fits the theme of the game so well like they could just have easily have just added you know a banjo track over it that they got in garage band for free or something it could just as easily have been that and you'd want to turn it off but this has the uh it has actual songs in it which is kind of cool and just going back to the ability to um customize lightning mcqueen you can give him different paint jobs and see what he looks like with different skins mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me a lot of like the spider-man game on ps4 being able to unlock yeah. different spider-man skins and different like comic book styles and and everything like it's a lot like that and this is just you know they they'd only had actually they didn't even have one movie out yet when this game <laughs> came out um so to do that in a game with a uh, based on an IP that wasn't even out yet is a bold move and it, it's great when franchises do do it and it makes me sad Mike you said like I can't see a game doing that like in 2022 which sucks because it's like we're about to get a new Spongebob game come out and might already be out when this episode goes live but the Cosmic Shake the Spongebob game and one thing that would probably get me to buy that game day one would be if I knew that like you could unlock 400 or five, like a couple hundred spongebob outfits like you could play as spongebob oh, like man. you know in jellyfish fields you could play as spongebob in his like in his underwear or you can play as spongebob in his crusty crab out like all of these different like in the bat suit from that one episode or in his inflatable pants like you can get every single spongebob outfit ever from every episode i would buy that like day one just for that right i i i love that they did that in here for cars and like you yeah. said for a, a game that didn't even really have a, a movie yet uh in a lot of ways, you, you mentioned Need for Speed, and I agree, but mm-hmm. I think even more so, this reminded me of Burnout yeah. uh, and even Midnight Club in terms of the wacky driving. And let me explain for wacky driving what I mean by that. You always kind of have a different way to drive a course depending on what you're really feeling at that point. Uh, so if you're driving down and you, you hit a corner, you basically can choose four different ways to hit that corner. Uh, you can either kind of um, uh, power slide it, you can just like turn it normally, you can use your handbrake, or if you want to be burnout style, you can go on two wheels on your side and turn nice. on a dime. <laughs> and that was really fun when I discovered that while, I pl- while playing it. I was like, oh my god, I'm just going to only drive like this. And uh, <laughs> once you kind of master it, it's a, you're just constantly doing that. And you can also jump. Um, it's kind of like skate. Uh, like the game skate where if you kind of flick your your left trigger or not trigger but your your analog stick you do right. a little jump like a little ollie uh if you if you do that off a of ramp you go flying and it's really cool interesting i'm just looking at rainbow studios the uh the developer of this game just to see ATV what else. games atv games yeah a lot of atv <laughs> games a lot of mx versus atv Big that's series. basically it yeah all ATV, a couple of Monster Jam games in there. Then you've got Cars in there, and they also did like Cars Mater National Championship. There's about eight or t- eight between eight and ten, depending on what you count in terms of video games with the web browser and uh, mobile games. There's a lot of Cars games out there, considering that there's only three movies. Um, but they're all they all rate like pretty average to good, at least. Like they're mm-hmm. all good racing games and good driving games and good driving sims i feel like that we missed an opportunity here to invite uh, racing expert ali onto the show to talk about this game uh just to know like what his what what's the racing community think about this game but i remember yeah. playing the uh, driven to win game on wii u i think i got it from the library back in the day and it wasn't really my game because i'm not into racing sims but i remember thinking like this game looks pretty good the driving feels okay like it felt it felt better than playing like one of those sonic racing games i'm gonna throw some more shade at sonic today <laughs> but like they're pretty high quality and uh like yeah. for, a, for a car game i guess you, you need that but like 
I was yeah. surprised at how high quality it was, one, in terms of graphics, but two, in terms of, like, the HUD. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was surprised they didn't just go, like, the Mario Kart route of uh, you're just kind of driving around, you have some items, and you're not really paying attention to your stats or anything that, that are happening right. uh, on, on, on the course at all times. But uh, I think Double Dash is the only one where they actually show the, exactly how many miles an hour you're going, and they never did that again. Uh, but uh, for cars, they show you all of your stats. They show you exactly how fast you're going, what gear you're in. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on on screen. But for me, for someone who sparsely plays racers, you know that's a big win for me. That I'm not just playing some kiddie game where I'm just like, oh, drive to the next objective. It's like uh, you're actually trying to go really fast, and that was that mm-hmm. was fun. Yeah, it was. And they also do a cool thing too that I, I wish Mario Kart would do more of, and that's. They turn the car around at times. Like you have the ability yeah. to, as you're you're racing as Lightning McQueen, you can kind of do like a show offy trick where you spin around so the character's looking right at you in the camera and he's he's talking and he's making, you know, funny eye movements. The cars' faces in the movie cars are very uh, animated, so it's cool. But in Mario Kart, you never see the front of your racer until the game is over, and by that point, it doesn't. You're not watching it at that point. I'm checking my phone, so I don't really care. But I wish Mario Kart would do more of that, where like the cars could maybe ride backwards for a bit. So you could see you yeah. know, Yoshi doing something, or you can see Toad freaking out the way Toad does. Um, I love that, and like they 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 want to show off the whole model of the car because these developers they they made it. They 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 designed the entire car, the face, everything. So they want to show it to you, which is really cool. Uh, not a lot of racing games do that. One negative towards the game that I have to say before we move mm. on to our last game of the day, though, Mike, and I think you probably noticed this too, and that is. As much as I appreciate them bringing the voice actors back, could they not have given Owen Wilson a cup of coffee before he got into the studio? Because my God, he sounds like he's half asleep. Yeah, the voice actors didn't sound great. In they just had no energy. Like they they sounded okay, but it's like just like everything yeah, was very right. much like very out of energy. I noticed that too. That was the first thing I thought of actually was Tobey Maguire in Spider Man too. Me too. Me too. Yeah, but it's it's the same kind of delivery. Like he's Lightning McQueen. He's supposed to be charismatic I and know. energetic, but he's very much like we gotta go over there. And then <laughs> that was pretty good. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. We gotta go over there. Anyway, I don't want to let that uh, make people think that I have a negative opinion on cars. I think it actually looks like a pretty decent game. But that was really the only thing that I noticed that was uh, not great about the game. And it does have two players simultaneous uh, multiplayer, which is nice. So thank God. Um, thank God for that. But anyway, let's hit the back of the case of cars, Mike, and we'll move on to the the last game of the day what do you think sounds good all right jump into the fast lane burn rubber in over 30 races and mini games make your friends eat dust in multiplayer mode speed to the finish line with over 10 playable characters explore the open world of radiator springs i like that they put on the back of the case that it's an open world i would like nowadays open worlds are like god don't give me one but like back (laughs) then it's it was nice to know that a game was open world like i wish that more games had done that like spider-man 2 or something because as perfect perfect open world game and you got to advertise it well spider-man 2 like the the concept of open world really didn't exist fully yet like they did that it didn't really have a term so uh this would have been you know just a couple years after when open world games were getting a lot bigger with gta and like with vice city and san andreas and everything so yeah it's uh it's cool that they kind of pushed for that uh that's an open world game but 
Unfortunately, the next game, Neil, is not open world. No, this game should not have existed at all. Ratatouille <laughs> was released on June 26, 2007, developed by Heavy Iron Studios, published by, you guessed it, THQ. It is also on Windows, OS X, PS2, Xbox, Wii, Game Boy Advance, DS, PSP, Xbox 360, and the PlayStation 3. Rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $20. This is a platformer. Why the heck did they make a game based on Ratatouille, Mike? I don't understand it. This game, it's like, it's not a movie that that fit a video game genre, unless it's like a cooking simulator, like uh, Overcooked or uh, some of those mini games in Lights, Camera, Pants. But no, they decided to make this a full story action adventure platformer. I'm mad about it. (laughs) Honestly, as you should be. It's uh, Ratatouille, for me, it's one of those Pixar movies that I've only seen once. One of the few ones I've only seen once. Hmm. Uh, And I, I definitely don't mind it. But it never did a lot for me. You know, I, I always like the setting. I like the story, like the the idea of it. But And I like the animal-human relationships. Yeah. Uh, I'm always a fan of those. But it just doesn't have the same staying power as, um, as some of the early Pixar movies that we've talked about already. I like Ratatouille. I think it's mainly because it's one of those time and place films. Again, uh, it came yeah. out 2007. We had just... We were just about to start high school, I suppose, in 2007, and I rented this one from Blockbuster with my mom, and if I'm not mistaken, I think this is her favorite Pixar film, so I watched it a lot with my mom when I when I lived with my parents, so she has like some Ratatouille merch, I got her like a, like a cheese cutting board with Remy on it, and Patton Oswalt is a fantastic comedian and really good voice actor in this yeah, film. Yeah. I don't really, none of the other voice actors really stand out to me except for him uh, 15 years later, which is kind of sad, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I love to cook too, so that, that I guess helps make it. Um, but yeah, this is the, one of the ones that I saw maybe like you, like once or twice back in the day, but then started to watch it more and more with my mom when I found out that it was, it was her favorite. But in terms of a GameCube game, this is the second to last GameCube game ever released. The last one would be released six weeks later, and we'll be talking about that game in a couple of months. Um, so this is a very late game and it's kind of random that they even put it on GameCube because the GameCube was done at this point. The Wii was in full force. So I don't know how many copies this game sold on GameCube, but it, <laughs> I can't imagine more than 50,000 copies. June 2007, like basically a full year after the, the Wii comes out. Like that is, yeah, super, super late. Yep. Um, there are only five 2007 GameCube games, Neil, mm. and... Uh, Three of them are movie tie-ins, and oh so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yes, uh, only one of them is a Pixar movie. But yeah, let's get into the game itself. But actually, before I do that, who is John Ratzenberger in this movie, Neil? Oh no, I'm trying to think. Uh, John Ratzenberger is this is. Oh no, I might flop this one. Um, is he one of the rats? No, he uh, is um, Mustafa, who is like the other waiter, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh. Um, he's, yeah, I've, I, I, I don't okay. really remember him, but I, I saw his face. I was like, okay, I think I know who you are. <laughs> and that one didn't hit as well for me. I, I can't, I, yeah, not just not one of the ones that I watched a lot as a kid on repeat. You know, this was a high school Pixar film. So we're getting into the post era when I had time to watch a movie 10 times after getting it on DVD. I think I still love him the most as Ham. I, I, oh, I yeah. would say I would say Ham and uh, Ham and Mac are probably my favorites. Although he is the most lines he speaks are, is actually in Wally. That he is the main character mm-hmm. technically in Wally. Yeah, it's weird that he's the main character in some Pixar films, but then in other films he's just a, a quick cameo or like the you know you blink and you miss him kind of character. It's it, it's kind of weird. Like sometimes he's the Stan Lee, sometimes he's the uh, the Bruce Willis of the film. You never yeah. know. They call him their good luck charm. Hmm. 
Okay. Maybe they should bring him back. That might bring them some luck. But So he he, he has been in recent ones. I'm actually on his, on his page. Yeah. He's in Onward. He's in Seoul. He's in Coco. So uh, okay. he, he has been in stuff. So maybe he's still doing it. But it's just even smaller roles. Yeah. And here's the problem, Mike, is that Pixar films, we get three a year now. So it's like when, I know. <laughs> when he's not in like when he's not in three, that that feels like a long time, but it's actually only a year. And in the 2000s, we were getting Pixar films once every two or three years. So kids yeah. don't have to wait as long nowadays. But all of the voice <laughs> actors do reprise their roles for this game. At least most of them do. Specifically, Remy, Patton Oswald is here. Uh, I think a lot of the other actors are uh, the same. They're they're not at, they're all French speaking people, so I can't really pinpoint their accents as well <laughs> as the American voice actors that we've known up until this point. But uh, Michael Giancino, who uh, makes the music for this game, is uh, was an interesting name that I saw written or uh, credited for this game, and he did the music mic for Medal of Honor. Oh, interesting. Yeah, huh, that's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, I thought so too. I don't, I don't know what he, who he had to talk to to make the music for this game, or why he wanted to. I'm sure he didn't have to do it, but yeah, he made the uh, the Medal of Honor series music too. So a prolific uh, video game uh, composer at this point was uh, working on this game too. So a lot of production uh, behind it to put it out on what 10 different consoles in uh, in a year only to uh, I don't think it sold particularly well and it didn't rate particularly well either. It sold well Neil it shipped nearly oh. 4 million copies. Holy crap. <laughs> I was wrong. How many of those were DS copies? Uh, probably a lot of them, but yeah, it's <laughs> It's crazy the 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 money making machine that Pixar movie tie-ins were at this time, man. Like mm. this is probably between these five films uh, and five games, were maybe twenty million dollar or twenty million copies sold uh, between the five. So that's yep. uh, that's just insane numbers for the early two thousands. Yeah, like people talk about video games nowadays that, you know, sell, oh, they sold 5 million or they sold only 10 million or, you know, Call of Duty only sold 20 million or whatever. And it's like games didn't sell that at one point. Like it was like you're lucky to sell a million. And, you know, if you can if you don't sell a million, you're in a lot of trouble because all those copies are on disc. Whereas nowadays you can put a game out digitally and it's way less to ship games. So um, way more risk back in the day. And if they didn't sell well, they you know, that's why developers went out of business so often. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about the gameplay here. Um, I, I really only had one thing that I noticed that I wanted to talk about right away, and that is why does Remy trip every five seconds? Did you notice this? Like, whenever he's sprinting, he just trips over when there's nothing on the floor. He'll just trip. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, uh, just a weird part of the gameplay that, where I was like, why? Like, is this is this a thing that happened in the movie a lot? I don't really remember that. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, I mean, most of the the game that I experienced was just the platforming of it, right? And not great platforming, and <laughs> and also for the graphics, this game looks like considerably worse than I would say most of the games we played today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the levels are smaller, like in terms of you're a rat in a kitchen or something. But I was trying to think. I feel like the Incredibles game didn't look quite as good as this one. I, I think. Oh, true. I, I thought, yeah, I, well, that, that was yeah. the first game. It's been so long, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say Incredibles probably looked worse, but that's three three or four years before this. So Yeah, no, I guess that's true. For a 2007 GameCube game, it definitely doesn't look quality, that's for sure. But it, I don't <laughs> think it looks terrible and it's it's got it's got a lot of character like it's got a lot of like cool environments like the kitchen has all of the pots and pans and everything lying around so like it looks like a lived-in world which is about as much as i guess you could ask for um it's a pretty good collect-a-thon like it's a it actually this would be a really fun game if it was just titled rat simulator i think that <laughs> yeah. would have been i was like this just looks like a fun game to play as a rat 
I, and I honestly, I think this would have been a fun game to play on Wii. I think I would rather play this on Wii mm. than I would on GameCube. Uh, watching gameplay, I did watch some of the Wii gameplay, which uh, didn't look any better in terms of graphics. <laughs> no. But uh, uh, it, I, I noticed like the the pointer and using your Wii mode actually helps a lot in the game in terms of figuring sure. out like what to do, and where to go. And so I was like, okay, I can see they probably designed that a little bit in mind. And the GameCube one was definitely the afterthought, which it should be at this point, 2007. Uh, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Why didn't they just make this like a full kind of rat sim style? Uh, <laughs> like that would have been cool. Like there are the uh, the cooking parts, I guess, as well, where you're mm-hmm. you're you're knocking things into the the pots. But it, it feels like this game was trying to be like three different games in one. That, that's a lot of these platforming games, though. I mean, I guess not so much uh, Cars, but, like, The Incredibles is trying to be a, quite a bit, too. Um, th- these games are just a collection of every 3D platforming, uh, I guess, uh, gimmick all in one, basically. You've got a little bit of platforming, a little bit of puzzle solving, a little bit of a chase scene here, maybe a fight scene where you have a little bit of combat. Like, it really is just a smorgasbord of learning how to play every little bit of video game. And if you're a big fan of Ratatouille, you might get some enjoyment out of it. And you better be a big fan of Ratatouille because the plot of this game, it is the movie, but they miss a lot of plot points. So it actually doesn't really make a lot of sense (laughs) if you haven't seen the movie. Uh, Like the opening level is you collect, basically teaching you how to uh, maneuver Remy around the world. You're collecting apple cores and food and whatnot. And then it cuts instantly to you being told by, uh, what is it, Gustavo, the uh, the restaurant owner, I think that's his name, uh, mm. that you have to save his restaurant. Like this this chef ghost is talking to you. And at this point, you have no idea why. Like they haven't established the fact that you're like a cooking chef rat. Uh, it just skips right to that. So it does follow the plot of the film, but you, you have to basically fill in the gaps on your own. And there's a lot of that going on. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the, I, that is kind of a, a big miss in that sense, like for a cohesive, you know, you, yeah, we just talked about cars that basically took the story and then expanded it. And we have this where it just kind of skips over the story and just like, look, yeah. you're a rat now, go do platforming stuff and go run for the gutters. Uh, <laughs> some of my favorite parts, again, on the Wii version of this game, what were the cooking and uh, were like uh, making these different dishes. There's a, a, a part where you're making 10 crepes. And uh, you have to kind of use motion controls to flip the flip the crepes over, move the ladle around. Like that was cool. That was like, oh, I'm actually kind of like kind of cooking. This is mm-hmm. like the cooking part because it's like me. It, it, it's literally uh, uh, Remy moving around the humans, uh, like the humans' arms and right, everything. Right, right. And so like I like that. That was a really cool part of it. And I was like, yeah, th- this is like an interactive. Uh, movie uh, in this, this sense like I feel like I'm now part of the movie I'm in this environment but it was so there were so few quests like that and then the rest of it was just like platformer rat, like rat yeah. sim but not very good <laughs> so, I actually like the yeah. kind of rat mode that you go into where you're kind of running real fast it uh, yeah. brings you back to like the dash levels the dash. of the Incredibles yeah. It's actually very similar to that, but... Uh, sure, like, it's the same engine. It's the same oh, developer. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Just take out Dash, put a rat in there, and uh, ship it. But uh, that part actually looks kind of cool. Like, you yeah. just go... But then he trips randomly when you I know. <laughs> stop, stop doing that. <laughs> but it would have been cool if they had made this just Ratatouille, the rise of the Underminer, where you're, uh, you know, you're in Italy or something this time, because Ratatouille is all Paris. But they could have definitely done a lot with some, uh, like, a, a plot line that they didn't get to develop in the film yeah. and make make a game out of that like we talked about with rise of the underminer or with cars like i think ratatouille would have been perfect for that because you watch the movie ratatouille and it's not made for a video game other than maybe a cooking sim like there, there's not any action in the game really other than you trying not to get killed 
which is why I think a rat simulator would be a better game, but I digress. It's just uh, the epitome of of mid-2000s uh, trying to put everything, make everything into a game, right? And this is kind of the beginning of the end for movie tie-ins. Like, after 2007, 2008, we go down in terms of how many movie tie-ins we're getting made every year because uh, people finally figured out that you don't have to actually do this for every single movie. No, definitely not. And THQ was uh, starting to probably feel the pinch, too, after this, uh, after this year because in 2007, Mike, I counted... Between January 3rd was the first game THQ published, and December 17th was the last game THQ published in 2007. They they published 52 games that year. Wow. That's, that's one a week. Crazy. <laughs> one a week. They pumped out. And t- 2010, as we said earlier, was when they hit their financial struggle. So yeah, to th- I, I definitely feel like 2007 was when the movie tie-in era was starting to come to a close, and people were starting to get privy to... These games are not very good, and there were far better games coming out. Like, this is when Call of Duty was starting to get big. Halo was huge. There was online gaming that was starting to get big. So kids weren't asking for these games anymore. They were starting to play games online and uh, play more mature games, too. So that hurt that uh, those games as well. But we still have a lot more movie tie-in games to talk about in a later episode of this podcast, Mike. But uh, with that, I think we should move on to our closing statements. Uh, what do you think? Let's do it. Let's hear the back of the case for Ratatouille. Okay, the back of the case for Ratatouille. And there is four-player multiplayer in this game, Mike, so that's good. The first one of the day. Finally, we made it. Finally. For a game that really does not need four-player multiplayer. (laughs) (laughs) Not even a little bit. Action has a new flavor. Navigate treacherous terrain through six massive worlds. Be fearless in eight challenging dream world stages. Outrun Skinner and other enemies in daring heists and action-packed missions. That is one thing I need to give credit to as well, is the NPCs in this game are really passionate about killing rats. You will get chased for minutes by people. Usually <laughs> when people chase a mouse or a rat out of a building, they'll just, you know, scoot them out and then move on with their day. These people are adamant about killing those rats. So got to give a shout out to the people of Paris. They really do not like rats. Thanks, Paris, for uh, for keeping Ratatouille out of the streets. Mm-hmm, exactly. But Mike, are there any games that we've talked about today that uh, you are going to be looking for or you recommend the listeners out there pick up? I think... Cars, Cars is the pick here for sure. It's a game that I had seen before on some of the best movie tying games of all time, and I definitely see why. It's really cool. It's one of the few, few games uh, that the director and the writers were actually involved in in the making of it, and I think right there that kind of guarantees that it's going to be a good experience. And it's a fun time. It's different. It's It's got some racing elements that are fun, not just like a, a normal racing sim. And it's really cheap, and you can find it almost anywhere. The the thing sold so many copies, so I would say Cars would be my number one pick. Uh, Incredibles Rise of the Underminer is also a really fun game to play, especially if you're looking for um, kind of a couch co-op two-player story mode game. There, there aren't many of them, honestly, on the GameCube of games that you can play a story with a friend. Uh, and like we're just kind of two players. So it was uh, really cool to be able to do that with you, Neil. And um, mm-hmm. I would also recommend that game. Yeah, The Incredibles 2 is interesting just because it's uh, it's a sequel to a movie that eventually also got a sequel and then yeah. it became non-canon. Like the, because we're we're from a GameCube collecting time when that was weird. Like that the the rise of the Underminer existed because uh, we started collecting for the GameCube back in like 2012, 2013 when Incredibles 2 was not even a thing, and we saw this this game on the shelf being like, what the heck? This isn't based on a movie. What is this? Yeah. So it's it's interesting in that context in terms of it being fun to play you're right that there aren't a lot of co-op multiplayer games on gamecube i think that there are definitely a lot better ones um so it's 
rare, but it is cool to have, and it is fun. Like, I think I think playing this game back in the day would have been really cool. I think you and I could have had some really neat memories around this game if we had played it when we were 11, when the movie mm-hmm. came out. So it's too bad, but uh, we didn't quite get there. Uh, Cars is my choice of the day, though, for sure. Like you said, it's yeah. it looks like a terrific uh, racing sim. Looks like it has a cool story, lots to do, a lot of replayability. You can play as 10 cars from the movie. We didn't even talk about that. There are a lot of cars you can play as. Each one have their own different abilities and they're all very different car types which is cool it's got all the customization with uh lady mcqueen which is neat we talked about so that's definitely the complete pixar package i think in terms of games that we've talked about and uh, i'll be on the lookout for bugs life on n64 see how that game is and i will report back in the future but uh while i'm looking back on past pixar games mike what do you think is the future of pixar games and what would you like to see on nintendo hardware and i guess any other hardware at this point it's a good question, Neil. What I was trying to think what the last Pixar movie game would have been, and the what I found was actually Incredibles Two, which had its own standalone game by Incredibles Lego Edition, oh, yeah. and okay. that came out in 2018. It wasn't called The Incredibles Two; it was just called called Incredibles Lego, uh, but it basically is just the plot of Incredibles Two, and, and then just a bit more as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that's really the last standalone Pixar game that I could find. It's obviously hard to make a game like from Luca, uh, but yeah. of course they they did Ratatouille in this time. If Luca came out in 2007, they'd make a game of that too for just oh, like yeah. bike, bike racing a or biking something. biking simulator game, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it's an interesting question because on one hand, Pixar is so big, Disney's so big, that you would expect them to push Pixar uh, to the limit and put it on everything. Uh, it was with Disney Infinity for sure. That was a big part of Disney Infinity was was the Pixar um, characters and everything that went with it and the games that went with it too. But um, mm-hmm. now it seems that Disney doesn't have the same interesting games as they used to. And we've talked about this on the Disney episode with how they put really just the Disney racing out and then let other people use their IP like Square Enix with Kingdom Hearts right. and basically work with them. And there are Pixar elements in Kingdom Hearts, uh, of course. So I think that's probably where Pixar will continue to live in in collaborations like that. I, I do not see Disney putting the time and money into creating a a brand new standalone Pixar game for a movie. So um, I would love them to create some kind of Toy Story game because mm-hmm. that I think would be amazing to me is like to play a standalone Toy Story game. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, Neil. There are some standalone Toy Story games out there. Like, I think Toy Story 3 on PS3 specifically is actually a pretty good game. And the, even the, the earlier Toy Story games were beloved on PS1 and, and N64 as well with Toy Story 2. So yeah, in terms of a standalone Pixar game, I don't think so. Like, I think I think eventually Disney are going to start to outsource their animated franchises to game developers and publishers the same way that they're doing it with Marvel and Star Wars now, like you said. And we had that horrible EA partnership for a few years, and now we have uh, like Square Enix doing... Was it? Square Enix did the Avengers game last year, and then we have Guardians of the Galaxy as well coming out, and Insomniac has Spider-Man and Wolverine. So I think eventually Disney's going to start to get or they're going to start to run out of star wars and marvel games to make and might have to start making disney games again like they did with infinity and i i honestly look forward to that because i think i think disney and video games make sense like we're from a time in the 90s where there were disney games on genesis and snes and those games are all really good with sega and capcom like those games Mm -hmm. are all terrific and we're seeing a resurgence in 2d 
beat-em-up games and 2D platformers in the indie space, and we just had that terrific Ninja Turtles game. And I feel like that, like, imagine a 2D, like, that 90s style of 2D animation with, like, the new Lightyear movie that just came out. Like, I would like something like that to happen. I don't need, I don't need a 3D quote-unquote action-adventure game to come out based on Luca. Uh, but I would love a Luca 2D platforming beat-em-up kind of game. Like, I think that, that would be kind of cool. It wouldn't fit yeah. the plot of the movie, but you get what I'm saying there. Yeah. And I do have to say something uh, to the listeners out there, because a couple of weeks ago I did mention that I really wanted a, a Nightmare Before Christmas game on the GameCube, and one of our listeners, I believe on the Discord channel, did point out to me that there is a really good Nightmare Before Christmas level uh, in Kingdom Hearts, and uh, I just want to say... I'm never playing Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I do appreciate it, though. I know that Disney does exist very respectively, and it's a very like a very good representation of Disney in Kingdom Hearts, but I am not... I can't bring myself to play those games. I tried. I did try on PSP. I tried to play uh, Birth by Sleep. I tried that one in college. Friend of the show Dan gave that to me, and I couldn't get more than a couple hours into it before yeah. just... Can't stand the weebishness of it, so I I need my Disney and my fi- Final Fantasy characters to be separate, if that is okay with you guys. But <laughs> I do appreciate you letting me know that there is a Nightmare Before Christmas level in Kingdom Hearts. I'll try and find it on YouTube or something. I won't be playing it though. So my only hope for Pixar is that eventually Disney starts to outsource some of their uh, their classic characters to other game developers, and hopefully those games aren't littered with microtransactions and all that crap. Because if that's the case, I'm not going to play it. But Mike, while I'm sitting in my basement waiting for the next Nightmare Before Christmas crossover with Luca game, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 111 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. Man, what a crossover that would be. Uh, 111, 111, 111 is Beyond Good and Evil. We are going to spend a whole episode in this. I'm really excited. I'm going to play it for the first time, Neil, before this show. Sweet. So I'm um, going to get kind of get immersed in it because I've always wanted to play this game. I'm really excited to talk about it. And we're going to have a couple of guests on as well to give their thoughts about this very unique and I think underappreciated game. Oh yeah, it's a gem on the GameCube, no doubt. It was a hidden gem for a while. It's definitely not a best-kept secret anymore. It's definitely Mm -hmm. out in the world. Everybody's looking for Beyond Good and Evil, and we have that Beyond Good and Evil 2 that will probably never see the light of day. I think I remember when we started this podcast, we talked about trying to time this with the release of Beyond Good and Evil 2, and that's (laughs) certainly not going to happen. So we're just going to have to do this. uh, (laughs) We're doing it live. We're going to do it before Beyond Good and Evil 2 comes out, but I'm glad to hear that you're going to play it. I did have a copy of it, but uh, that disc doesn't work, so I'll have to figure something else out in the meantime but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to episode 110 of the gamecube is cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the gamecube is cool all patrons get the show ad free and a little early thank you so much to everyone over there head on over to check out our merch store on t public and you can follow us for free on instagram twitter or facebook and join the weekly conversation on our discord channel Share us with your friends and family. Tell John Rassenberger, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. To infinity and beyond. When do you think they're going to make a Woody movie? Yeah, I'm good. I don't need. I don't. I don't need. Uh, I want new things. I don't like. Uh, Pixar was so good because they didn't do sequels and uh, at first, and then they were like, you know what? Uh, Disney is like, yeah, we need money. So. Well, I mean, yes, but like Toy Story Two is like 2000. 
I guess that's true. But uh, okay, other than Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Make some new ideas out there, people. <laughs>